Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. You have just become a part of the Apostles Corner podcast, pointing the hearts of man back to God. And now, today's show. I'd like to welcome you all to this edition of the Apostles Corner podcast. Today we're beginning a series that I feel is going to be very effectual in your lives. Some of the simplest things that we endeavor in life can be more complicated than we realize. The title of our ongoing subject is the dynamics of relationship. We would ask ourselves, what, what, what does that mean, the dynamics of relationship? When you, when you speak of the dynamics of something, you're talking about the element that makes it what it is. The dynamics of a race car is the engine, if not the driver himself. The dynamics of Thanksgiving is a turkey. The point that I'm making is this. There are certain things in the makeup of relationship that we missed for a number of years. The root element of relationship is sacrifice. We don't realize this. We believe that a relationship is an ongoing interaction between two people, but the root element of a relationship is the word relate. How do you relate? Here's an, here's an example. You're coming out of the gas station. Someone's walking towards the door. They're probably 20 feet away. But you stop, hold the door, and you wait for them. And as they approach, they say, thank you very much. And you say, you're welcome. And they say, have a wonderful day. And you, they say, you do the same. You have just built a relationship. The two of you have related on the need for brotherly love. The core element of any relationship is sacrifice. But we don't realize that. That's why so many relationships fail. I want to go back to Genesis and I want to show you how the be- even in the beginning, God set sacrifice into his relationship with Adam. He sacrificed by relating to the need of Adam, not what it was he wanted, but what Adam needed. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God firm, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God developed a place for Adam. This wasn't just of his own behest. It was for Adam. If you stop and look, and it talked about the Lord in the first chapter of uh, Genesis, it talked about how the Lord labored for six days creating what he wanted, creating everything he wanted. But on the seventh day, he rested from the labor of his own hand. But yet we see here that he continued on. 
You see, everything prior was what God did for himself. But now in chapter two, he's stepping into doing things to prepare the way for Adam. He was relating to the need that Adam would have. He developed a special place for Adam to live, a place where he knew that everything would be right for him. How did he know everything would be right? Let's go on. Verse nine, and out of the ground made the Lord to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of the of good and evil. You might ask yourself, if he was relating to Adam's needs, why would he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because he related to the fact that Adam should have free choice. That Adam should have an ability to make decisions on his own. God created Adam for a relationship with him. And God related with him in the area of being able to make a choice. When we meet someone, our attitude is, who are they in the face of what it is I'm looking for, what it is that I want? Who are they? We never forget about the thing. We never think about the things we're noticing about them that aren't going to add up to the price that, that we're not going to add up to the price that we have to pay in the face of their need. We're not relating to their need. We're only relating to what we want out of the relationship. But a relationship is two-sided. There has to be an action and a response from both sides. I remember when I went to the Lord about my wife. And he said to me, leave Brenda alone. I said, but Lord, you have an order. It is you, the man, and then the woman and the children. And God spoke to me and said, did I not create you in my own image? That you might reflect what is in my heart. Well, I didn't design the woman to obey you. I designed her to respond to the presence of my spirit coming from you. When I knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone, it was first that Adam might have something to help him stay reined in. I did not relate to my wife's need from me. I was living my life as I am, as who I am. Not realizing that what she needed from me was to reflect the will and the spirit of the living God. And in reflecting him, she would gain the strength that she needed to, to strengthen me, to encourage me. Sometimes we miss a core dynamic in relationship that causes things to crash before us. My question to you today is where did your relationship with God start? Because when we meet him, too many of us, we meet him under the, under the condition of despair, loss, hurt, whatever the situation may have been. You met him and someone told you the Lord God loves you. 
He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be fulfilled and he's going to do everything. He's going to give everything. All you got to do is accept him right now. Who's not going to accept the lottery ticket that you know is a winner? (laughs) But that's not the way the game goes. There is a price to pay for the relationship that we have with God. We have to relate to the heart of God. We have to relate to what it is that he desires to do in us. We have to relate to what it is that he desires to feel from us. So often we go through a turmoil in our life and we pour everything out before him. But when everything's fine, we don't have too much to say. We don't have too much of a commitment. We want to believe that we've given him what he has coming because we weren't, I'm not going to say church. I'm going to say the fellowship because that's what it is. It's a fellowship. The church lives within us. The very spirit of the risen savior lives in us. By his sacrifice, God sent the comforter to abide within us and to be our guide unto all truth. I hope that you can find some truth in what I'm I'm telling you today, because a failure in the relationship that we were supposed to have with God is what's causing failure in so much of our life relationships, our love relationships, family relationships, marital relationships, job relationships, social relationships. They have no level of relate. We're not relating to one another's need. I had no idea of the importance that my life had in the presence of the world. But Donald Trump was on television and he said, maybe they could inject some bleach. And I lost it. I was kind of wigging out because I couldn't believe that he had said this. And I could feel my wife looking at me with that. I hate when you're like this look. And the Lord told me, John, leave Donald alone. When Father God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, tells me to back up off of a respected level of hatred for my enemy, (laughs) it's time to stop and listen. And this is what he told me. He said, I have never judged you by the content of your hands, but by the content of your heart. When you were a Capitol Hill lobbyist and a crackhead, I never judged you by what was in your hand. There was a place in your heart where I abided and waited on you in times of need. There was a place where I knew the person that I had created you to be and that you would one day come to fruition. And I never judged you by your actions because in your heart, I knew that we were going to meet someplace special and it was within you. He said, do I not love all as I love you? For I am a respecter of no persons. How can you condemn Donald Trump to an eternal hellfire when I said it is my will that none should be lost? You don't know his heart. If there's any good in him, you would never see it because you don't desire to. Leave Donald alone. 
but take a close look at yourself because the way you feel about him is affecting the relationship that you have with me. Because if you relate to me, you understand that I love him as much as any other life that I've created on this planet. It's their choice how they come to me or not, but it's not your choice to condemn who they are. In that moment, I realized something. If I am in, truly in a relationship with God, I have to learn how to relate with the love that he has for all. He said, I created all things for myself, even the wicked, for e even the evil for that great and wicked day. And we know that when he speaks of the evil, it's in and out of the body. Because Jesus later said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. People who would say, I've cast out demons, I've prophesied, I've healed in your name. And he will say, depart from me, for I know you not, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity is gross and unfair behavior. If the spirit of the living God abides within you, but your thought patterns, your behaviors, and your, your accusations of others are contrary to the will of God, you don't know him. You know of him, but you don't know him. But it is his desire that you would come to know him even as he knows you. I had to learn my wife. When God told me that my wife was reflecting me, he said, I created you in my own image that you might reflect what is in me, but I did not create her to obey you. I created her to seek my spirit coming from you, but she's going to reflect whatever it is that's coming out of you. And if it's me, you'll be strengthened by what comes from her. But if it's you, then you're going to be doubled up in who you are. I stopped and I looked at myself. And you know something? Everything that I couldn't stand about my wife were the things that were identical to me. I couldn't stand me and I didn't even know it. It was time for me to take responsibility. And I said, Lord, I need you to help me. Because every negative and dark spirit that is coming from my wife is something that I brought home with me. I have a relationship with things that are contrary to you, but yet I believe I have a relationship with you too. But if I relate to what is in your heart, why am I hanging out with these contrary spirits? I remember in high school, I had three friends. Tony, Harry, and Michael, and we were like the four musketeers. And believe it or not, there were four musketeers. There weren't three, regardless of what the candy bar says. <laughs> but we were bond in a spirit of love. If one of us had money, the others had it. We were the, we were, we weren't nerds, but we were somewhere between the nerds and the kids that didn't want to deal with nerds. So it was just the four of us. I got a car my first car and the kids that were not the best ones to be hanging with the kids that really had no concern about me because I didn't fit their repertoire. Now all of a sudden I'm accepted and I'm in the circle with them. 
Tony, Harry, and Michael lost me. I disappeared because I was now hanging with the contrary spirits, the ones that didn't accept me because I was with them. But I had let them go to be with the others. You cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. So if we're in a relationship with God, but yet we are committing fornication with unfamiliar spirits and fornication is intimacy, spiritual intimacy with elements of darkness, hatred, jealousy, malice, envy. All of these things are a contrary spirit. So if we ha- it's contrary to the spirit that we declare we have a relationship with. We are in relationship with the God of all creation through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that sent the Holy Spirit to live within us to be a guide unto all truth. We know that there is no middle ground. There is no on the fence. You're either in the presence of God or not. In this relationship, we ask God to to be subject to the things that we desire, the things we need, and the things we hope for. And too often, we have nothing to say to them. Just like Tony, Harry, and Michael, if there was something that they had that I needed, I would have left the other ones alone to go to them. We do the same thing to God. We cannot serve two masters. We will love one and hate the other. But if they're both in your life, God's not going to accept that no good wife would accept you having a mistress that you even dare to bring home with you. God is the same way. There were times that the, the scriptures say, and the face of God was against them. It's like when you know you've done something wrong, you come home and your mother looks at you in a certain way and you know that is not a look of I'm pleased with you. It's a look that says My face is against you. How often have we disavowed the relationship we have with God? And we've done it inadvertently because we fail to understand what relationship truly is. Relationship means that you first relate to the need of the other person. That's sacrifice. It means putting aside what it is that you feel or think you should be doing and doing what you know they need. The world is watching me. They're watching me. You know why? Because I'm shooting my mouth off talking about the goodness, the glory, the love, and the mercy of a God of all creation. But how can they know that it's real except they see it through me? Patience is the greatest thing. And they don't have to know me. They don't have to know me. I could be coming out of a gas station. They're in the middle lane. The light is just to my right. All I need to do is turn right onto the street and I'm right there at the light. But they jump from the middle lane to the right lane and pull right up there in front of me and stop. Smack in front of my car. Now is an opportunity for me to show them that God is real. Because I sit there with a spirit of peace. Not judgment, not anger, not frustration. And that spirit radiates from the car to them. And in light, they say, why did I do that? 
I could have stopped and let him come out. The world needs for us to see the relationship we have with God. I have a customer that said to me that he's an atheist, and I told him, no, you're not. He said, how are you going to tell me what I am? And I said, well, what's an atheist? He said, you know, don't believe in God. I said, God? What God? He said, you know, God in heaven. And I said, oh, so you do believe in him. And it it was a joke. He laughed. He said, okay, you got me. And I told him, I said, I'm going to let you know something. If you are an atheist, it's my fault. I take fault for that. And he said, well, how is it your fault if I don't want to believe? I said, because if you saw the evidence of his glory in the people that say that he is real, you would at least have a question. But you don't even have a question, do you? He said, well, no, no, I I got it pretty much figured out. I had to take authority in my home. The authority to say that anything in my home that's not right by God, it's my responsibility because I'm the man. And I started seeing so much in me that she shouldn't have to deal with. Things she shouldn't have to deal with that she had actually become a part of. Why? Because it was coming from me and she's a mirror of me. Well, I started seeking change in my heart. I started looking for a way to be more of what she needed to see from me. After about a year, I didn't feel I was seeing enough change. And the Lord gave me a vision. And in this vision, I was standing in a field, a large green field, and literally a mile away up on a hill, there was a guy standing there. He had his legs spread and his hands on his hips. The sun was directly above his head. I saw his hand go up in the air and a sound came out of my hip and I looked down and there was a radio on my side. And he said, I'm changing the color now. And as I was looking down, I saw a small white hose the size of my pinky. And it was, there was a cloudy water coming out of it. The hose ran across the grass and all the way up onto that hill where that gentleman was standing. I saw him bend down and turn something. And he stood back up and put his hands back on his hips. And I stood there and I watched the sun slowly come down little by little until it was directly between his feet and about to disappear. And at that point, the water coming out of the holes turned clear. And I woke up and I knew it was a vision. I said, Lord, what is this that you're showing me? And he said, When you battle to manifest something in the physical, whatever you fight to manifest in the physical, you must continue to battle day by day to maintain what you have manifested. But when you allow it to be manifested through the through the hidden realm of the spirit. When you allow it to be manifested through the power of God in his righteousness. Because he is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So if that which we desire to manifest is in spirit and in truth, 
It will be fulfilled in the spirit. And by the time that you see it manifesting in the natural, that clear water coming out of that pipe, by the time you see it, there's a pipeline of abundance still headed your way. And as you did not labor in the physical to manifest it, neither will you need to manifest to labor in the physical to maintain it. Just the vision of it, the revelation of it now being there will set you on a course of rejoicing, rejoicing for what you know has come from the bosom of God. And that continues the manifestation of that which is already in the pipeline. Blessed are they that endure until the end. When we decide to take a right course, we have to endure. We can't walk right for a moment until we get what we're looking for. I have someone right now that, well, a few people who are seeking prayers in some pretty major things. And with each one, I have to ask the Lord, Father God, have they come to trust in you? Have they stood with you? Where do you see them in their heart? See, God doesn't judge you by your what's in your hand. However it is you're living and the things that you go about in a, on a day-to-day basis, he doesn't judge you by that because some of your negative activity may not be you. It could simply be that you are in a trance. And when I say that you're in a trance, you've allowed your mind to be turned over to adverse spirits that instruct your body on what to do. And you think that it's your thoughts. You're really in a trance by some spirit that you have allowed to be in your life long enough that you believe that spirit is a part of who you are. But there are times that you stop and you look in your spiritual mirror and you know that your behavior is not conducive to your relationship with God. You know that the things you're saying and doing do not, they don't fulfill his heart. And like I said, he doesn't judge you by what's in your hand, but what's in your heart. And sometimes we cry out to God for things and we believe that he is able. But within our heart, he knows our heart. And that's what gets a lot of us in trouble. He knows our heart and he knows that you're only hurting, turning in him right now because you don't have another avenue. But if you had another avenue, you would have done it yourself because we trust the power of our own hand. And there are many prayers that God will not fulfill because of the fact that he knows that he will not gain glory in it. God didn't have to send Jesus. He could have just blessed the whole planet that was cursing him. But God desires to be glorified in all things. The question is, do we want him to be glorified no matter what the cost is that we have to pay? I don't want nobody telling me about the mercy of God. Mercy is everlasting. It is eternal. But grace has an end. Grace is sufficient. The word says grace is sufficient. If I'm giving you a ride somewhere in my car and you look at the needle and you say, you don't have enough gas. I say, oh, no, that's sufficient. Sufficient means enough to get you to where you need to be. There are things in my life that I don't have any more grace on. them. I don't need it. I don't need grace for smoking crack. I don't need grace for cursing my brethren. I don't need grace for hatred and unforgiveness. 
because grace carried me to where I could rise above those things and no longer walk in them. Without a relationship with God, we cannot get to the place where we truly please him. We have to be able to relate to what it is that God desires, what he needs. I've said in previous broadcasts that the word of God is not sufficient. The word of God is, for me, it is a template showing everything that happens if you do and do not do what God tells you. It is a confirmation of his heart and is a revelation of the things that come if we do or do not obey him. I don't want grace when it comes to my wife anymore. I want to be accountable because I can relate to how God feels. He said, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church, even giving his life for for them. And I literally had to give my life because I wanted to live the way I felt. I wanted to be right with everything that I had been doing. But you can't come right with what you need to do unless you get right with what you've been doing. And too often we need to be able to say, I was wrong. I missed it. But I can fix this from here out. I can turn the course and I can relate to what she needs from me. What God needs from us today is to be evidence of his glory among men. In a dark and perverse world, they need to look at us and say, what is it about this person? Can they ask a question and not get an answer? I don't think so. There were so many points in the Old Testament where there were people who loved God, desired to do his will, but they couldn't relate with the importance of the need. Jonah's a prime example. He loved God, (laughs) but Jonah, he wasn't willing to be rejected. The scriptures say that Christ learned obedience through the things that he suffered. How's that? Because suffering means to go through something that's uncomfortable, something that you feel you shouldn't have to endure. But when you suffer, will you call on God and listen to him? I have had a number of people curse and defile who I am, telling me there are no apostles. The word of God doesn't say that. Oh, but it does. And he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and preachers for the edifying of the body until we come into fullness of the unity that is Christ Jesus. And we are not there yet, and we won't be there until we see him. And when we see him, we will be just like him. For what love and mercy is this the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Not Christians. Christ never called us to a title based on his name. He said, be ye sons of the most high. A son reflects his father. I have taken many attacks in peace because Jesus suffered affliction, judgment, degradation. But we don't think that we're supposed to. If you can't have peace in the midst of an attack, 
Something is wrong with your relationship. It could be that your relationship is currently only with the church and you don't know how to build the one with the father yet. But trust me, everything is in place for you to do it. All you have to do is just come along for the ride. The Holy Spirit was grafted within us so that we would know the very heart of God. But there's a part of us that wants to know that we already know. Much of what I know isn't worth a dime. And until I surrendered what I knew, I couldn't find out everything I didn't know. We are in the last days. And we need to find out where we are within ourselves. When we do that, we understand how to get where we need to go because we know where we are. How can you pick up a map to go someplace when you don't know where you are? But he knows where you are within him. Regardless of the shortcomings, regardless of the things that you have missed, he knows where you are. I encourage you this day. Relate to what God needs from you, because this isn't a big picture. It's not the same for everybody. This is all about the people in your life, from your spouses to your children to your families to maybe even the fellowship in your workplace. It's all about them. You might be the only evidence that they have, the only opportunity they have for the evidence of the glory of God among men. Trust him. I remember years ago, some of the attacks I go through now, they broke me physically, emotionally, mentally. But now, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. The only thing that matters to me now is that when it is all done and I'm offered up and I leave this place, let my enemies talk about me like a dog as long as they have to end with, but he sure did love the Lord God. The only thing that matters is that you be evidence of the glory of God among men. I'm evidence of my wife. I go out to do something and I stop at a, a, just a little carry out and I get a sandwich and I bite into it and it's like the most pleasing thing I've ever had. And I find myself wrapping it back up because I want to take it home to let her try it. I've found how to relate to her presence. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm looking at a fly on my camera and I'm waiting for him to get on the lens. But (laughs) look, everyone, this is Apostle John Morton. And through the power of the Holy Spirit within me, I declare the glory of a God of all creation in your lives. I declare that you will be lifted above every fear, every lack of understanding, every distraction, and every doubt that has been established in you through ecumenical words. I declare through the mercies and grace of God that thou shalt be a son that walks in the kingdom of the Most High, glorifying him and revealing to the world that the spirit of the very God of all creation does live among them. This day, 
be thou blessed, be thou established in the greater things of God, and be thou free of anything in the past intellectual perspectives that have hindered you in your walk.